and welcome everyone to the South Cliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's our surf master, Dr. Elliot Higgins. It's a great joy to be with you, our senior pastor, Dr. Carol Barr. He is out uh, on vacation today, doing well, but we're continuing in a series called One Another. We're better together. And from all the pages of scripture, from the beginning to the very end, we see that God has put these key elements throughout all of scripture. One another. He wants our attention to be focused on each other. Because we have been created with strengths in diversity, with a design for unity. God knows that you have a gift that someone else doesn't. That you have a lifespan and a time and experiences and personality that no one else does either. But you possess that in someone else theirs. And together, God works mighty things through the world. And that was his original intention. Today, we come to a passage where we're going to see something of great value. In fact, I was reminded of a particular story that I, I want to share with you. A guy by the name of Rick Norsegian went to a garage sale in the year 2000. And he was looking for a barber's chair, chair that you sit in to get your hair cut. That's what he was looking for. So he went to several garage sales, came to this one particular garage sale. And in a box on a table off to the side, there was a box full of these glass plates. And in these plates were some kind of picture with etched, etched glass that said what this was, and it was Yosemite National Park, and it was these landscape pictures of various parts of that national park. And so he negotiated with the owner, he wanted $75 for this box, and he negotiated them down to $45. He liked the, the artwork here, and he took it home. Two years later, in 2002, he began to do some study on what it was that he had, and he recognized that this is the work of Ansel Adams, a famed photographer that, would, that was famous for his landscape photography. And so he began to sell these things. Now, he had a whole stack of them that he bought for $45. He began to sell them for $7,500 apiece each. It's amazing what we're able to discover in a garage sale, something that's set aside, covered in dust, in a box, off to the side, looking for a barber's chair or who knows what, and we come across something that's worth far more than $45. What we recognize is that this 7500 yes, that's a tidy sum. Some of you are thinking, well, that's nice, Elliot. That, that's definitely a profit, but that's not the news that I was figuring you would share. If you'd let me finish the story, you would find out that when he began to sell, the art collectors realized that what this is is actually the negatives of his photography that's encased in this glass. And so the art dealers appraised his collection at $200 million, a far cry from 7,500. It made it right now, as of now, and hopefully I go to the next garage sale that breaks the record, but he has the record for the single most valuable garage sale purchase in history at $200 million. 
It's amazing what you find in a box on a table that you're really not expecting, that you think is nice looking, but not of high value. Today, we come to a passage with a very specific point that God brings out, an issue called humility. Humility functions a lot like these photographs that are on the table. We look at it, we say, this looks good, I like it, but we fail to grasp the depth of the value of this. What's interesting with Rick's purchase, if you were to ask other people who are in possession of $200 million, most of them will tell you how they've had some incredible business mind and they've had these opportunities or they've had this level of education or things that they've done. He did nothing. He just showed up looking for something and found something of huge value. His concept of humility, I believe, God brought you and I together today to look at this scripture as if we're looking at a garage sale here and we see something and said, that's nice, but we fail to see the true value of it. And God is going to reveal the value. This is worth more than $200 million. And here's why I say that, people of God, and this is why I believe God brought us together today. He brought us together because when we have humility, 100%, when we own this, and this is present in our life, hear this, there is no limit to what God can do in and through your life. With humility, you are limited only by the limits of God's power, which last time I checked, is limitless. Anytime there is not humility, there is that element of pride. And the Bible says that God stands opposed to that in every regard. And when we are completely humble and obedient and humble before God, there is nothing that he is not willing to work through our life. He will work with power and strength, the likes and the value of which we have no comprehension of. And God has a unique way, people of God. He has a unique way of touching the lives of those that are around us when we engage this concept of humility. He has a way of working through our life. But get this, throughout the pages of scripture, we see how God takes this and uses our life even beyond our lifespan. When we have breathed our last on earth, God somehow still honors and blesses and moves through the life of someone with humility. And I believe that God brought us together today to reveal that value and to remind us of the key nature of this concept of humility. That's why the Lord brought us together. I want to welcome you into the presence of the Lord. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. While you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of a backstory of this text. The first part of this passage you're going to watch that, that Paul is writing and he is saying that God is doing something. God is at work and you're going to see what all he's up to. God is at work, and then he introduces this concept of humility, and he commands us, be like-minded, engage this one with another. So we see God at work, we see this issue of humility, and then the final part of this text, we see them together. 
And we see what God has done through a life that is completely humble. In fact, when we watch this, we recognize there are no limits here. That the full might of God is at work. And thereby, he is literally turning heaven and earth upside down. That's what God is doing through this concept of humility. What a day to be at church this morning and logging in. To grasp this truth as valuable as it is. So let's read it together and we're going to work our way through. We'll see four ways, four key elements in this passage so you can be watching as we read through it. Verse 1, chapter 2, Philippians. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're going to stop there for our time together this morning. Look back with me at this very first part, and we're going to see, this is where we're beginning to see God at work. God's working through this entire text, but there are key things that Paul is bringing up that God is demonstrating his power through this. This first one, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ. Now, I recognize that there are different translations among us, and in, in the English is trying to get at the original language. Language. And so what we see in each of this, this like this encouragement of Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, and affection and sympathy before every one of these. These are things that God are doing. He's doing in our life. But before it, there's a word called if. If God is doing this, if God is doing this. He does this if four times. So this word if is preceding the statement of what God is doing. So it forms like an if then. If God is doing this, then God is accomplishing this. So if this is happening in your life, God is working out something. He's working out humility. He is working out a unity. He is working out a like-mindedness amongst the people. Now, what's interesting with this word if is it's not one of those as, is it present, is it not? He's making a statement. If this is present, what we know that it is present. So he's reminding us of a truth. Is God good? If God is good, then we know that this is what's happening. So he is linking these two, but it is a statement of fact. Now, here's why this matters. Let's look at this. This first concept, let me just give you this, and then we're going to see it play out in the text. This first principle that we see in this part of the text can be summarized like this is that if we want to engage humility in our life, if we want the full working power of God, that we have to, number one, our first element, is recognize that God is already at work. 
It's not a, is he at work or is he not? God is already at work. And Paul shows us several things that God is already doing. He begins, verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, has God through his son Jesus provided any level of hope in your life? Has he given you hope in a hopeless estate? Has he sent his son to die for you, to bring you out of sin? Has he given you a spirit of conquering truth, knowing that now I can face the world in ways I never could before? Has he come alongside and carried my burdens when I couldn't do it? These are truths that come from this encouragement in Christ. Has God done this? Certainly he has. And he has done it in your life. And Paul reminds us of this. If God is encouraging this, this work of Christ on the cross, if that gives you hope, if that gives you strength, if that gives you peace, which we know that it does, then we're able to see God moving. This concept of humility begin to form. We recognize God is already at work. The second one we see, is there any comfort from his love? Is there encouragement of the work of Christ on the cross? Yes. Is there comfort from his love? That Jesus came, it says that he loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he died for us. When the whole world looks at you and finds you unlovable, you are not smart enough, strong enough, fast enough, wealthy enough, good looking enough, you are not enough. But God says you are the person that I created. He loved you when you were unlovable by everyone else. Is there any comfort from the power and might and sheer weight of his love that he would do what he did for us? Well, yes. Certainly there is. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit indwelling your life? When we surrender our life to Jesus, when we surrender to him, the Bible says that God sends the helper known as the Holy Spirit. And he dwells in us. He gives us wisdom when we look through scripture that we're able to navigate our life in ways that we couldn't do without that. He allows us to pray in ways that we can't understand. I don't even know what to pray for, but he is praying on our behalf. He is working out God's power in your life. He is the seal, the Bible says, of your salvation. That God, like a stamp on your forehead, says that this person belongs to me. This person is a child of the Almighty God. He gives me an identity. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Absolutely, there is. He continues, is there any affection and sympathy? This word sympathy is God's mercies, affection. Is there any heartfelt emotion of God in this relationship with his mercy? God's mercies are great, people of God. What is it that you have done in your past that if I were to preach from this pulpit that you would feel the depth of that guilt and shame? People around you don't know what that is, but God does. And when we have given it to him, it says that he forgives it, puts it aside, it exists no more. God's mercy is great. And God is full of mercy and continues to give his mercy. Is God at work in our life? Has he given you mercy as a person of God? Absolutely. All of this speaks back. He says, complete my joy. If God is doing these things, which we know he is, then be of the same mind, Paul says. 
having the same love in full accord with one mind. He's using that term again. And he's saying, God is at work. He has already been at work. Now be unified in this understanding that God is at work. So when we're looking at this concept of humility, this dusty box set aside that we say that looks nice, but we're not recognizing the full value. Let's look at how we pick this up and we recognize the full power that God brought before us today. That first thing that I said, that first element is that we are recognizing that God is already at work. Here's what this means. We see elements of what God is doing in our life, but in a practical sense, Everything in your life, every opportunity, everything that you possess, everything that you are able to do is an opportunity that God brought to you. You didn't bring it to yourself. God brought it to you. Now, you can make a case and say, well, Elliot, yes, but unlike other people, I took advantage of the opportunities. This is how I got to where I am. God bless you. I'm glad you took those opportunities, and it's probably true that others may not take the opportunities that God gives. But understand, every opportunity that comes to you is not a result of you. It is a result of God. So we're able to begin to grasp this concept of humility when we recognize that there is nothing in our life, no position, title, or rank that comes into our life without God allowing it to happen in the first place. God is already at work. Did you have the opportunity to pick what era you would be born into? The, the date and the time, your skin color? Did you have the opportunity to to pick your level of intelligence or how beautiful you may or may not be? Did you have any of those choices? We have a lot of things that we had no choice in the matter, but we are what God created us to be. And the opportunities that come before us come only because God is already at work in your life. That's that first key element that we see at the beginning of this passage. We see God revealing that he is already working. We can see that encouragement in Christ, the comfort of his love, that he has moved heaven and earth to save us. This participation in the spirit, he didn't just come die and disappear. He is still working in our life. This this affection and sympathy, his mercy, this continual thing, this is God at work. So he gives us that we recognize God is already at work. Verse three, let's look at this. We begin to see our next element. That first one, God is at work. Second one here, number three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Leads us to really our second key element here is that we, we have a proper perspective of who we are. You have a proper perspective of yourself. So we see that God is already at work, but this proper perspective, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, the other word for that is pride. You are wanting to make a name of yourself. You're wanting to accomplish great things for this reason or that. He's saying that has got to stop. You need to have a proper perspective of who you are in God's eyes. You are a valuable part of the team of God, what God is doing on this earth. But you are just a piece of the puzzle. That, that what 
it, you know a puzzle that's missing that piece. It, it looks weird. <laughs> you, we need every one of us working together to accomplish the fullness of what God had in mind. But you are not the puzzle. It's not all about you or me. And so we recognize that. It's not about our pride or the gifting that God has given or those opportunities that have come. Rather, it's about the Lord. So we recognize that we do nothing from pride or conceit. The word conceit literally can be translated as empty glory. So when we are trying to accomplish something, you say, look at me, look at what I have done. The Bible says it is completely empty empty, worthless, empty glory and pride. There is a passage in scripture that just makes me smile and makes me fearful of my own position many times when I read it. It's the Tower of Babel and the people have been commanded by God, you go out, spread out through earth. And what do the people do? It says that they come together and say, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves." Conceit and pride, we see that. The Bible says that they're not using stone, they're using brick made of mud, and for mortar they're using tar. So in other words, they are literally making a name for themselves using mud and tar, and that is going to bring them glory. Have you ever got online and try to find this place, this Tower of Babel to go visit? Have a Airbnb at the Tower of Babel? It doesn't exist. It's made of mud and tar. And yet, this is where they were defining their glory. It doesn't exist anymore. God confused the languages of mankind. What towers are we building in our life? Made of mud. Worthless. This is what Paul is saying. If we're, wanting to, if we're wanting to engage the full working power of God in our life, that we have to understand that there is no room for pride or conceit, that we recognize that God is already at work. The places in which I live, the things in which I do, the opportunities that are presented to me, this is all because of the Lord is already at work before I showed up. And the second thing is that we, we have a proper perspective of who I am. I'm a piece of the puzzle, but I'm not the puzzle. And I refuse to build a tower made of mud. And I will follow the Lord in obedience. But watch. He says, in humility, this is the other side of the coin. He's presenting this concept. Get rid of the pride. Be humble. Count yourselves, count others more significant than yourself. He's beginning to change our perspective here. That first one, God is at work. Second, have a proper view of who you are. Look at others around you, every one of the people around you, even, yes, the Satanist, that they were created in the image of God and they have value in God's eyes. Doesn't mean we have to agree with them. But it does mean that God loves them dearly. And we have to have that same concept, view people as God views them. We recognize God is at work. We have a proper perspective of ourselves. Watch, he doesn't stop. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This leads to our third point, very easy to spot. Be interested in the needs of others. This is one way that we're able to engage this concept of humility. Because the needs of others, I have yet to meet one that does not infringe upon me in some capacity. You have this need, and now because I am focused on helping with that, there is some expense, at least of my time, to try to help meet. 
But every one of us, people of God, every person in this life, and I don't have to say this as some unique truth that you don't know, life is hard. Every one of us are going to encounter the loss of a loved one. We're going to say goodbye to somebody and they will not walk with us on this earth anymore. Every one of us are going to make a financial mistake and it's going to cost. Every one of us are going to have struggles and pain and suffering. That is the reality of our life. But what the Bible is saying is because we are all in this and experience those things, he is calling us to look to the needs of others and work together, that one another. Humility is the tool in which God is bringing us together. I'm viewing you as God has created you as a person, an image bearer of God, and I am concerned about your interests. It doesn't mean that I am not concerned with my interests anymore. It just means that I am interested also in yours. I'm not focused on self. I'm focused also on you. Now, I wonder if maybe God brought us together because there is somebody in your life that you say, I'm sick and tired of that person. They're nothing but a dead weight in my life. And God is saying, perhaps one issue of humility is to serve that person. Help meet the needs that they have, however many that they might have. Maybe there's just one that you can meet. But I wonder who that may be in your life. Why God brought us together to remind us of that. We recognize that God is at work. We have a proper perspective of who we are. We have an interest in the needs of others. We come to the final one here, and this is the rest of the passage. You remember at the beginning I mentioned that we see that God is at work and he's introduced this concept of humility. Now we see what God does when he is working with humility. And we see the full power manifest in that. And people of God, this is where we recognize that God is willing to do this, even with you, that he is willing to accomplish wonderful things through you. Watch, he gives us this example in Jesus. Watch in verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So we're seeing the full manifestation of God at work and humility coupled together perfectly in Jesus. So that leads to our fourth point. We're going to flesh this out. But that fourth key element is to follow Jesus' example. He is giving us this example in the fullness of what God is doing. Look with me. It says that he was in the form of God, verse 6, but didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is one of those things that are, is hard to translate in English and people go off really in Never Never Land and they have to throw scripture away when they come up with a conclusion that Jesus isn't equal to God. Here's the text. Baloney. What we do see is that when it says that he is the form of God, he didn't take equality with God, a thing to be grasped, is not who he is identity, but his position. He's not seated at the, he's at the right hand of the throne anymore. He is walking on earth. 
and he is not walking on earth in modern day with all the modern conveniences, which is still a far cry from what we see in heaven. What we see in scripture, people of God, we see every time we have that throne room experience where we see people trying to describe what they see standing before the throne of God is I know that you're from Texas and the thunderstorms roll in and, and rain down on us. And that thunder and that lightning, how it shakes the foundation of your house. Well, the writers of scripture say every time we're in that throne room, that's what's happening at the throne. There's peals of, of thunder, flashes of lightning, and it shakes the very foundation. It's not that element of lightning, thunder, it's, it's the presence of God. That it shakes the foundation, that awe, that power. And that there are angels that circle this throne and they declare holy, holy, holy. Even the volume of their voice shakes the foundation. This magnitude is far and above anything we can comprehend. That we recognize that there are legions of angels, according to Jesus, that are there ready to execute his orders. The snap of his fingers, the voice of his mouth. We recognize all of this, the most beautiful place and the most magnificent place that God can create. That's where he came from. And then when we come to scripture and it says he didn't count equality, I'm not in heaven. He is riding a borrowed donkey into Jerusalem. He is eating his last meal at a borrowed table. He is put to rest in a borrowed tomb. If you go back, you see he was born into a family that was so poor that the law had created this little, I use the term loophole loosely. If you can't afford a lamb, you can afford, if you're so poor, you can afford a dove. And we recognize that they made sacrifice at his start of his life that he was born into an impoverished family. He came from the strength of heaven and all of the glory and strength and might. And he counted it not equal to be grasped. He came to earth for us. Humility. He humbled himself. In verse 7, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. The master and commander of the armies of heaven, that word servant can be translated slave. He became absolutely committed to the will of God the Father, became a slave, a servant of him and also of you. He served you. He did not, you see through the pages of scripture that he did not command things for his creature comfort. Rather, he just commanded obedience to the Father. And he poured himself out for you and I. This form of a servant being born in the likeness of man, fully human, people of God, fully God. And being found in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself to be obedient to the point of death. Point of death. Even death on a cross. Scripture says that those hung on a tree are cursed. What that whole truth means is that he bore the weight of your sin. Did not have to. He could have easily, as, as easily as he spoke creation into existence, he could have wiped it off and started over. But yet he had a plan and a, and a love and an encouragement and a comfort and a participation in spirit and an affection and mercy for you. He did that for you even to death. He allowed it to be so, the king of kings and lord of lords, that borrowed donkey, the borrowed table, the borrowed tomb. 
He's not there anymore, by the way. But we do recognize that he humbled himself for you. You want to know the image of God using this concept of humility? God literally saved all of the world. Everyone who's put their faith in him, he has turned them 180. From enemies that he is standing opposed to, to not only friends of God, but co-heirs. He has invited us as family to sit at that table one day when he returns and brings us home. We will all be seated there and we will be called family. What a story of redemption, but an impossibility without the truth of Humility. Like a story of Rick and finding those glass plates for $45, something cheap, something that we put aside worth $200 million. This concept of humility is so valuable because we recognize when we are engaged in full humility, that is when God works in awesome ways. There is nothing in our life he is standing opposed to. We are completely ready to be used by him. Completely humble. And when that happens, that means that there is no limitation to the working of God's power in and through your life. Perhaps you're here today and the reason why God brought you here is just as a reminder of that. You long to see the might of God in your life. Lord, I want to see your power and your purpose. I want to touch the lives of those that are around me. I want my life to matter long after I breathe my last. And God has a way of doing that with this concept, often pushed aside, called humility. There is no limits with what God can do through you when this is present. I believe that's why God brought us here today. It's to remind us of that truth, what value that possesses, worth a whole lot more than $200 million. In fact, we don't have to stumble across it, we can claim it right now. And that's what I believe the Lord is asking us to do, is first of all, there's really two things that I think he's asking today, and he requires an answer. He's given us his word. We recognize he's at work. We have a view of ourself that's proper. We recognize that we're going to follow Jesus' example, and we are interested in the needs of others. I think one of those things that he's brought us here to put his finger on one of those and say, what is it that you need to change? And he's going to ask us, I believe, we're going to have a moment of prayer. You can come forward. You can stay where you are. But God is really going to bring that up. There is somebody in your life that he's calling you to meet their needs, and you've been pushing that off. There is something in your life that you're taking credit for, that God is the one who brought that opportunity in the first place. And you just simply say, Lord, that was your blessing. That wasn't me. There is something that he is calling you to do that you keep pushing back because you don't want to obey God. But so long as we push against this, there will always be limitations on what God will do with your life because you are not wholly surrendered to him in humility. And today he's calling us to that. So what I'm going to ask is wherever we are, just spend time in prayer doing business with God. He brought you here for a reason. You know what that is at this point. And if you don't, you can still spend time with the Lord asking him to reveal that. And whatever that is, you just spend time praying and you allow humility to wash over your life. The second reason why I believe we're here is I think that there is somebody in our presence today, maybe one, two, ten, I don't know. Somebody who is ready to see the working of God in your life 
you've maybe come to church, you know who Jesus is, but you have never humbled yourself before God. And God is standing opposed to you. That's what scripture says. All of us in this room have been there. But today is a day where that can stop where you can now be part of the family of God, working in the strength of God, and that is why God brought you. If that's you, I wanna pray with you. I'll be down front. I'm not gonna have you say anything to anybody, but I wanna pray with you. I wanna know who you are so we can partner with you in this walk. So what we're gonna do in this moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna have this moment that we can respond in prayer. You do business with God as he is calling you to do. If I can be of assistance, I am here. If I am busy, there'll be another staff person come down. No problem. Do not leave without taking advantage of the opportunity that God has called us to live in the power of humility. Let's stand together. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.